Life's big questions. Uh, turn in your Bibles if you want to follow along. Is Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 12 to 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and loving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Well, this is the seventh in our series, and we still have a number of questions to go. And we'll even continue the series longer if I keep on getting questions. But this morning's uh, question is, why do I need to forgive others? Why do I need... Uh, to forgive others. And so it was a snowy morning, spring day, on April the 28th, 1999, when a scrawny kid with a bad complexion, glasses, and wearing a blue trench coat walked through the doors of W.R. Myers High School in Tabor, Alberta. No one had any idea what was coming. The 14-year-old had been the victim of bullying, and he had had enough. His school days were nothing to look forward to. The cool kids, in their own minds, might lock him in the school locker, or they might be beating him up again, a group of boys and girls while alone on the playground, which had happened. He can still hear them laughing at him, taking pictures as he bled there, lying on the ground. Anger and bitterness, like cancer, grew. To him, this was unforgivable, and so perhaps inspired by the massacre at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, just eight days before. Many of you remember the news. Twelve students and one teacher were killed. This teenager pulled out a sawed-off 22 caliber rifle and fired four shots into the hallway. A 17-year-old, Jason Lang, and his friend were hit, and Jason died. His friend did not. Jason's dad was a preacher. He was the Anglican minister in Tabor. Dale shared that with every school shooting in the United States that has happened since, along with the 2016 shooting in Lalosh, Saskatchewan, where four people died and seven were injured, the memories come flooding back. Every time there's a school shooting. But what makes this story so powerful is that Dale and his wife were quick to forgive the boy who had killed their son. And then, unbelievably, Dale spent almost 10 years accepting invitations, crusading against the type of school violence and bullying that led to this tragedy. And in that time, he spoke some 1,500 times about what had happened. So Donna had made arrangements in Peace River and during those 10 years for, him, for Dale to come and speak in the schools in Peace River. And our 
church got involved as well. So I remember picking Reverend Lang up from the airport in an old Chevy Suburban. And after a little while, I don't, I don't think we'd gone too many kilometers, and he said, you need to pray for a new vehicle. <laughs> uh, I didn't. It just, the motor went, and I had to get one, so there we go. If you haven't figured it out by now, the question again, and I, we'd be very clear, has to do with forgiveness. Why do we need to forgive others? We'll ask the usual questions. Why is this question relevant? What are the challenges in answering this question? What is the best answer to this question? And how should I respond to what I've learned? So I want to read again verse 13 from the Passion Translation. And it goes like this. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Christ Jesus. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. I want to read that again. Tolerance or, or tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone... Release the same gift of forgiveness to them. So is this relevant, this question? In a 2018 survey, Barna Group said that 27% of practicing Christians identify someone who they do not want to forgive. That's almost a third. They don't, or between a quarter and a third, they don't want to forgive somebody. And then 23% identify someone who they say they can't forgive. They just can't forgive that person. These are ones that identify themselves practicing Christianity. Think about that. One in four identify someone they just can't forgive. And then Matthew 6.15 says, but if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now, these are the words of Jesus. They're not my words. I've looked at this passage in multiple translations, and there's no Jesus on forgiveness light. <laughs> it's just not there. There's no toned-down translation. Do we take Jesus at his word, or do we look for an excuse to reject his word. And before you say, you have no idea what this person did to me, I just can't forgive them. Try remembering what Jesus said on the cross as the very people he came to save laughed at him, mocked him, and spat on him. What did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them. And how could he ask his Father to forgive them? because Jesus had already forgiven them. He was doing the work right there. And so let me ask you a rhetorical question. Is there someone that you just can't forgive this morning? They've hurt you, or they've destroyed your reputation, they've hurt your child, they continue to lie about you, and people believe them. Is there someone you just can't forgive? Keep listening. This question is relevant for our time 
and it's relevant for you. <clears throat> There's something else that makes this question relevant as well. And Johns Hopkins University, uh, th this is an article that was posted in connection with forgiveness and health. I couldn't find the author's name, but this is how the article starts. Whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or long-held resentment towards a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of a heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. For us older people, <laughs> that, that means that it's not too late to reap the benefits when it comes to improving your health through the practice of forgiveness. In the, is the question of being a practicing forgiver a relevant question in our, in, in our day and age? Yes, it is. What's the difficulty in answering this question? Well, number one, forgiveness is seen as condoning the offense. If you forgive somebody, you agree with what they've done to you. That's, that's the idea that a lot of people think. A lot of people think that it means that what happened is okay, and that, it's, and that isn't the case at all. It's absolutely not the case. Still, it's a challenge because it's such a common belief. Your friend may not understand. That your, your friends may not understand. How can you forgive that person for what they did? You're agreeing with them. You're saying it's okay. No, you're not saying okay. You're not saying okay if you've forgiven that person. Remember this. And, and, and so, and so th there's, there's kind of a struggle right there when your friends are, are kind of pressuring you to, to not forgive that person, to keep a grudge, and to keep that uh, bitterness inside you against that person. And yet the Bible says this, and so you've got this, you've got, got this pressure. Do I, do I agree with what Jesus said? Do I agree with the Bible, or do I agree with my friends? And my friends just might not understand. And Jesus, he always understands. And so that's the kind of things you think about in situations like this. But remember this. The road of least resistance. <laughs> the road of least resistance. Doesn't go to heaven. Never does. Many also believe it means that the person must admit wrongdoing, that trust is restored, reconciliation happens, and that the offender is released from the consequences of their actions. That can all be part of forgiveness, but it doesn't have to be, and more often than not, it isn't. Forgiveness is simply giving up your right to condemn and handling, that, and handing it over to God, who is the judge and administers justice. And so that's the first thing. Forgiveness is seen as condoning the offense. And it doesn't. 
Number two, their sin is too great. In other words, what a person has done to me or to my family is so bad that God can't even forgive them. Right? At least that's what we believe. How many families have suffered untold grief, maybe by a drunk driver, and then they're supposed to forgive that person? How many betrayals, how many lies have ruined someone's reputation? Is anyone's sin too great? Do you know anyone who's killed a man? I do. How can someone who has killed a mother's son in the prime of his life be forgiven? Yet God is a forgiven, uh, forgiving God. We first meet the Apostle Paul when they were laying clothes at his feet as he was agreeing to, them, to the, the first martyr, Stephen. And what did Stephen say? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Why could he say that? Because he'd forgiven them already. Don't charge them to, for this sin. And the man, by the way, that, is, that killed someone is receiving God's love even now. It's amazing. God forgives. Number three, they aren't sorry for what they did. And that's one of, the, that's one of those things that we say, well, you know what, they're not sorry. How can I forgive them? They're not sorry. They even, they're even proud of what they did. A lot of people struggle with this. How can I forgive somebody when they justify what they've done? Or worse, they think they're, justifies in, they, they're justified in causing you continual pain. And so we have this, the attitude, I won't forgive them until they're sorry. And somehow we think we're punishing them by withholding forgiveness. But what are we doing, actually? We're just, we're punishing ourselves by not forgiving. Right? It doesn't affect them at all. And so Luke 17, 4 says, And if he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Okay, Has, is that person really sorry if they keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again and ask for forgiveness? He's not sorry, and yet we're commanded to forgive him. And then number four, they don't deserve to be forgiven. In our way of thinking, people should get what they deserve. If someone hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. Certainly the law was interpreted that way. Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. That's Matthew chapter 5. You, we must forgive. We, we must. We must forgive. And, and to the people that don't deserve it, if somehow that's... A measure, right? Otherwise, we'll all be going around with um, blind and toothless, right? Because we'll all be missing an eye and teeth. Besides, who really deserves to be forgiven? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. None of us deserve forgiveness, and yet Christ died for us and forgave us. Well, what's the best answer? 
Anyone here know the Lord's Prayer? So this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is from Matthew chapter 6. And then Jesus says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, Jesus doesn't have to qualify or give explanation to anything else. It was only the part about forgiveness. Nothing, Jesus doesn't say anything about asking about God's will, that it be done. Nothing about asking for deliverance. Nothing about how much daily bread we should ask for or how big our deep freezes need to be. Nothing other than forgiveness. He only says something about forgiveness. Do you think forgiveness is important then? And just in looking at that text, I would say that forgiveness is one of those things that that we need to pay attention to. It's absolutely important. And so, how should we define forgiveness? What's forgiveness all about? Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you regardless of whether they actually deserve it or not. So Reverend Dale Lang was very quick to forgive the 14-year-old who had killed his son, Jason. This is what he said, We forgive him. It frees me up. And I don't have to think about and concentrate on this person who, healed, who killed my son. Again, <clears throat> again, forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance. Corey Ten Boom, the Hiding Place author, she was, uh, uh, she was part of the family that were hiding Jews in order to save them. Uh, they were eventually arrested, and her and her sister were sent to Ravensbrook, and her sister died there of malnutrition. She forgave the soldiers for the hell that she was made to experience. She said this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. And I think she might know what she's talking about. Forgiveness becomes a decision when the internal operating system of one's soul is transformed. The power of forgiveness then flows from God to you and then from you to others and mercifully to yourself. And that was Michael Milton that said that. So why forgive others? Here are some answers from God's word. First of all, we are commanded to forgive. And uh, we've already looked at Jesus' command after the Lord's Prayer, but there's others. 
Paul said in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When God's word tells us to do something, we don't try to find ways to wiggle out of it. It's not up to us to debate or discuss it. It's, it, it this, and this isn't some obscure verse where we can twist it around. Uh, the, the Bible as a whole agrees with this. Other passages agree with this wholeheartedly. We are to be forgiving people. The command to forgive is repeated many times. And so, number one, we are commanded to forgive. Number two, and as suggested in Ephesians as well, God forgave us. And so there's no way we should be holding uh, somebody apart saying, I'm not going to forgive you. God forgave us, and so we should forgive others. Paul repeats what he wrote to the Ephesians to the Colossians, and we've read this already, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Matthew 18, uh, Peter asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? And he thinks he's being kind of generous by saying, should I forgive somebody seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven which is hundreds of times you should forgive somebody. In other words, don't stop. Don't stop forgiving somebody. There's, um, and then, to illustrate that, Jesus tells the story of a king that had a servant that owed him an enormous amount of money, a room full of money, that there was no way that he could ever repay this debt, Right? And, the, and so the king calls the servant to pay the debt. And the servant comes down and he just begs the king, I can't pay this. Can you have... And something amazing happens. The king canceled his entire debt entirely. It was all paid. He says, okay, I release you. And he forgave the debt, all of it. He released him. And then so he went away happy, right? And then a fellow servant owed him like pocket change. You know, he didn't owe him a whole lot. It was just a little bit. He owed him some pocket change for, to put it in modern context. And it was, and the servant said, no, you are going to pay me everything you owe me. And when the king found out, he, the, he, he threw him in jail and delivered him, and the Bible says he delivered him to the torturers because he was wicked. Because he was unwilling to forgive somebody when he, a little bit, when, when the king had forgiven him everything. And that's the point. And that's what, and that's what Jesus is saying. Your enormous debt has been, is paid. And so as God forgave you, you need to forgive others. And so God forgave us. Number three, we follow Jesus. And to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And that's 1 Peter 2.21. If you are unwilling to forgive, then, you, then please don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. 
Jesus forgave. And we need to follow Jesus. That is our calling as disciples. We need, so picking up your cross and following may include somebody forgiving somebody that has hurt you and that you really you don't want to forgive. It may include that. That might be part of picking up your cross and following Jesus. And number four, forgiveness frees you. I remember when I was in Saskatchewan farming, this was a long time ago, and so I was farming. A community member had had, um, had, had a heart attack, and he'd got home from the hospital, and the doctor told him, there's no way you should be going out and working in your field, right? But it was harvest time, and the crop had to come off, and and he didn't listen to the doctor. He went out on the combine, and, and he had a heart attack on the combine, and he died. So he didn't listen to, the, listen to the advice of his doctor. And I remember talking to a neighbor um, about the, the man's funeral, and I said, are you going to this man's funeral? And I'm not going to repeat what he said, but he had bitterness and anger and, and everything towards that man that had died. For I don't know what he wasn't forgiving, but it was, but it was just poured out of him that, that he could not forgive this person for whatever it was. And so I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But here, what, what, this is what Paul said, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone falls short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many have become defiled that's Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verses 14 and 15 this biblically speaking is my responsibility it's my responsibility to, to set aside to pursue peace and to set aside all this bitterness that could grab a hold of me like it did this man that, that kind of exploded when I asked him if he was going to a funeral. Bitterness will destroy you. It's not his response. It's like I can't control anybody else. I can't control the person that has hurt me. But it is my responsibility to forgive him. That's my part. Otherwise, I will become defiled. And this is God's word speaking to us. Pursue peace. And then number five, you are trusting God's word. Uh, when we are hurt by somebody, the natural inclination is to get them back, right? Or to defend ourselves. And, you know, I'm not going to... There's a, there's a line there. I mean, sometimes it's... you. We should defend ourselves, but sometimes just let your actions defend you, right? But here's, but perhaps you've been hurt by somebody and you really want to get them back. That's, that's totally wrong. There's no place in the scripture for that. Uh, it's not a good idea. And here's why. Not only are you feeding your own anger and resentment, right? But God says, I, I mean, here's, here's the word, um, do not seek revenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for the wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans 12, 19. And so, 
when you take matters into your own hands, when you decide to act, when you decide to get vengeance, when you decide to get even, when you decide to get somebody back for what they've done, when you decide to do that, God will let you do it, and then God will say, oh, you're taking care of it, so I don't have to. But who's, whose vengeance is going to be perfect? Whose vengeance will actually do the work? Your vengeance by getting somebody back or God's? Well, I'll let you answer that question, but, but I think it's pretty obvious. The Bible says that vengeance belongs to me. I, re- I will repay, says the Lord. And so for me to get somebody back is actually, God, God has every right to say, you know what, I don't have to deal with that anymore. You've done it all by yourself. And you know what? You'll have done a crappy job. So how do we respond? Imagine this scene from a recent courtroom trial in South Africa. A frail black woman stands slowly to her feet. She is something over 70 years of age. Facing her from across the room are several white security police officers, one of whom, Mr. Vanderbrook, has just been tried and found implicated in the murder of both the woman's, the, the woman's son and the woman's husband some years before. It was indeed Mr. Vanderbuck. It was now it has now been established who had come to the woman's home a number of years back, taken her son and shot him at point blank range, and then burned the young man's body on a fire while he and his officers partied nearby. Several years later, Vanderbrook and his cohorts had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she heard nothing of his whereabouts, and then almost two years after her husband's disappearance, Vanderbuck came back to fetch the woman herself. How vividly she remembers that evening, going to a place beside a river where, beside a river where she was shown her husband, bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit, laying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline all over his body and set him aflame were, Father, forgive them. And now, the woman stands in the courtroom and listens to the confessions offered by Mr. Vanderbrook. A member of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks... So, what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? She says, I want three things. She talks calmly and confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses and then continues, My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Vanderbrook to become my son. I would like for him to come 
twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining in me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. I'm sorry, I can hardly read this. This was also the wish of my husband. And so, I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbrook in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. I can't read. So as the court assistants came to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he had just heard, faints. And as he does, those in the courtroom, friends, family, neighbors, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice begin to sing softly, but assuredly, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Whew. Sorry, this is powerful. It's a true story. This incident took place during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings in South Africa in, and as a matter of court record. The Reverend Maki Masango, formerly, former moderator of the Presbyterian Church in South Africa, was in the courtroom and reported the details. So how do we respond? Is there someone you have been unable to forgive? You just say, I can't forgive that person. Maybe you need to start with forgiving yourself. They will know our Christians, by the way, by our love. And showing love through forgiveness is what we need to be all about. And so allow God's Spirit to speak to you this morning. If Dale Lang could offer forgiveness to the shooter that killed his son, and if a 70-ish-year-old woman can forgive a man for torturing and killing her husband and son, then what's preventing you from saying, I forgive you? May we be obedient to the word of God. Heavenly Father, uh, forgiveness is such a powerful thing. And um, there is nothing in our lives that deserve forgiveness from a holy God. And yet through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are forgiven when we receive that. And so, Father, I, I thank you for, for, for the forgiveness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And by your Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to be forgiving people. We must. We must. 
And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, give you this benediction. And it's, O God, eternal and ever blessed, order what is disordered in our lives. Bring our minds to your truth, our conscience to your law, and our hearts to your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.